Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Obedient, we are looking at why being rooted in Christ brings about the blessing of fruitful living. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. It's been a number of years ago, but Mike Butler, who's one of our elders and I, once went to a conference where we went to listen to a man named Marcus Buckingham. Marcus Buckingham at the time was the, the guy who uh, was talking to people in leadership. He was talking about his theory on leadership, and his theory was based on the fact, on, on evidence that they had taken from different places and different sources. But Marcus Buckingham taught that the best way to get the most out of you, the best way to operate is out of your strengths, and not to pour energy in trying to deal with your weaknesses. And it's not saying ignore your weaknesses. He said the best way to get the most out of who you are as a person is to go with your strengths. Now, in that conversation, I never forget, he talked about research that he had come across that found that one of the ingredients to a long-lasting, healthy marriage is something that is called benevolent distortion. What is benevolent distortion? Well, benevolent distortion is when you choose to always see the positive in another. The person you love, you see the good in them and choose to see the good even though they might do something that may be considered annoying or not so good. So, oh, he's, he, he might be messy, but you see it as, oh, he's so creative. She might be grumpy, but you're like, well, she just been working so hard. Benevolent distortion is something that I like to tease my good friend Tim Peace about because he seriously loves Cincinnati sports teams, and I believe he has a little bit of this going on with him. You can't really say anything bad about Cincinnati sports teams to Tim. Why? Because he always sees the positive. The Reds aren't just in a losing time. They're in a rebuilding period, right? The Bengals don't stink. It's because of the refs or because they're up and coming or whatever reason. Benevolent distortion. We get it. What we love, what we value, what we hold dear to us, we want to see the positive and we want to see and, and frame our experience with them in a way that is positive. So, for this reason, the husband won't talk badly in public about his wife. A mom won't hear anything or won't want to see anything with their kids, right? good way to get mama bear activated is mess with the kids. Why? Because they don't want to see their kid mess up. They don't want to see their kids go through some difficult times. That's what gets them from zero to 100, right? And it's motivated because of love. It's motivated because this, there's this thing about love that you want to see the best on another, and you don't want to see anything said against them in a negative light because you love them. And so it's called benevolent distortion in that it's, it's a reframing of your view to the positive regarding what you love. Now I think about this and I think about how we can relate to this, what we are passionate about, what we love. We have this desire to, to, to talk well of them. We have this desire to see them do well. We have them, this, uh, this desire to see them framed in a good way. And I think about this, and I think about, well, we know how to do this with the things that we're passionate about. We know how to do this in our relationships. We know how to do this with the things that we, we, we support in terms of sports teams or, or political process or politicians or, or, or certain other things that we love. But do we have the same kind of passion 
for God. Does this work for us for God? Do we love Jesus so much that we don't want anyone to speak against him? Do we love our church family, the the family of Jesus so much, the community of God, that we don't want to make we want to make sure that no one can say anything bad against them? We've been working through the content of Paul's letter to a man named Timothy. And we call it 1 Timothy in our Bibles. And if you remember, Paul was the apostle. He established the church at Ephesus. He sends Timothy to to get things set up. A little history lesson here. Uh, Ephesus was a major metropolitan city in the first century in a region of Asia Minor. Apparently, there were 250,000 people that lived in Ephesus. It was located, uh, as you can see, right there on the edge of the of the uh, ocean, and there's a bunch of other cities, but Ephesus was the main city in this region. Ephesus was a thriving, economically uh, robust city where you had a lot of people from different parts of the world. There was a diversity of people, and there was a diversity of belief systems. There was a large Jewish contingent, we know, because there was a synagogue that Paul visits when he goes to that city to start preaching about Jesus. The dominating uh, religious feature in the city was a temple, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, this massive structure erected in honor of the goddess Artemis. Artemis was a Greek goddess, and in this part of the world, in Asia Minor, she was worshipped as a fertility goddess, a provider of, of, of good things from the land, fertility goddess. Eph- Ephesus was a city where women had high status. The legend was that the city was started by the Amazons. You remember seeing the uh, Wonder Woman movie about the Amazons? Well, legend said that the city was started by the Amazons. It was the center of pagan worship and the occult. We would say it was a city of darkness because of that, but the light shone brightly when Paul came preaching Jesus. And a church was started, and it grew large, and it grew strong. In fact, we're told in the book of Acts that so many became Christians that they stopped buying idols, which affected the silversmith industry, which then created a riot trying to push Christianity out of the city because it was affecting their bottom line, their profits. Timothy was sent by Paul to Ephesus to the church so that he could help continue to see the church grow strong and healthy. These people were living in a large urban metropolitan area dealing with a number of issues from the outside and from within the church. These folk were dealing with issues of false teaching from pagan sources, false teaching from Jewish sources. They were dealing with, with the political intrigues of being involved in, and, and being a, a newcomers to the world. They were dealing with issues within the church, dealing with folks from different cultures coming into the church with different ideas and different practices. There was a lot going on in the church at Ephesus, and Paul writes to Timothy, his representative, the preacher that he sends to that church, writes to deal with issue after issue, writes to help them be able to stay true to their commitment to Jesus. 
you know, I think about everything being shared from chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, which we've been working through. And I think about these Christians, and I think, you know, while their issues may be different, while their issues may be different, doesn't mean that they were less weighty and difficult to navigate than the issues that we're dealing with today. We as Jesus followers in the world that we live in, let's think about even this week, recognize that our society is a mess. Mudslinging, ugliness related to judicial nominations, related to politics, related to, to, to sexual assault of women. We're constantly dealing with, with, with questions regarding the, the validity of our faith, the sanctity of marriage, the definition of family. We're dealing with issues within our church and, and pressures from without, and, and we are under pressure and in need of guidance just as much as the people in Ephesus were in their time and in their day. In chapter 5, Paul lists issue after issue that he gives Timothy instruction on that he wants communicated to the church. In verse 1 and 2, he gives Timothy personal instruction regarding his conduct to serve as an example. Hey, Timothy, this is how you're to treat older women and younger women, older men and younger men. In verses 3 to verse 16, he gives practical example on a ministry that was being run by the church, a ministry of benevolence that went to support widows, women who were vulnerable because they had lost their husbands. In verses 17 through 22, he gives instruction on elders and how they're to be treated and how they're to be dealt with if they step out of line. I believe this same instruction carries over to verse 24 and 25 with uh, verse 23 being a little bit of a personal instruction to Timothy regarding how to stay healthy, regarding how he can stay effective with his stomach issue. And then in chapter 6, Paul addresses the issue regarding Christian slaves and Christian masters, an issue that maybe we don't necessarily relate to, but no doubt a serious issue. How, how do you deal with the fact that in your congregation you got Christians who are slaves, because that was common in that time, and very possibly their own masters who are in church with them too? How does that work? Where they're together in the church body, but then when they go back home, one's the master and one's the slave. This is what he says, and as we read this, I want us to take note of something. I want to point on something that, that actually is something that I think we all need to get to in having this conversation regarding the question, how do we live in this world? How do we operate in this world dealing with the various issues that we face? What is the motivation? What is the first thing we have to set in place before we can move on to the issues? So Paul says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. And here's his, here's his why they're to do that. So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Then he expands. He says, those who are believers as their masters must, be, must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Right here in verse 1, Paul reveals his motive for all the directives he's giving Timothy, the church at Ephesus, and I will say giving us 
who have received this word. The motivation that we need, the motive by which he's teaching these things, dealing with the question that we need to settle before we address any issue that we face as a church and as us as Christians in the world. He says, the motive for this, the motive for me telling slaves to honor their masters is this, the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. The motive I'm telling you, Timothy, to to treat all people with respect and dignity is this, the name of our God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Timothy, make sure that the church manages the ministry of benevolence in a way that's honorable, that the women who need help will get help, that families that are looking to take advantage of this ministry will be encouraged to take care of their own before they rely on the church, that young widows will not take advantage of this gift and get themselves into trouble. Why? So that no one can malign or speak against God and the teachings of the church of Jesus. Treat elders in a respectful and honorable way and deal with them when they are in need of correction. Why? So that no one will speak against God and the teachings of the church of Jesus. Why was Paul so concerned about making sure that their conduct, their actions, their teachings did not speak against or create an opportunity for people to speak against God and the teachings of the church. Why? It's because Paul loved God and he loved Jesus. He was smitten by grace. And if we're going to enter into the conversation, whether it be our Facebook posts, our tweets, whether it be our commentaries and our conversations, if we're going to enter into the conversation regarding how we operate as a church and how we respond to the various issues that come at us that are weighty and heavy and and troublesome and difficult to go through, we better make sure that we answer the question first and foremost, do I love Jesus? Because that ultimately is the first place and only place that we can come to regarding these things. See, what I love, I honor. And if I love God, I will honor him with everything. I will honor him with everything that I have. See, what we love, and if we say we love God, we know that love will be the ignition of our passion. We know Paul was passionate about God. Why was he passionate about God? Well, because he once was a man named Saul who had dedicated himself to destroying the church on his way to a city to drive out Christians, he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. He came to realize that the God he was trying to serve was the God he was sinning against and that he needed forgiveness. And Jesus gave him forgiveness not only of his sins, but also gave him life in a calling to take the message of Christ to establish the church that he had been destroying. And based on that moment, Paul was smitten by Jesus. He loved God. And from that perspective, his passion was ignited to see the church 
honor God and honor the calling God had given him. Take inventory of what your life would be like if you were not a believer. Let's tap into that moment when you came to faith in Jesus. Without God, you would be due the death penalty. Without God, you would be lost. Without God, you would not be a child of God, having access to God to walk in your day-to-day. Without God, hope would be lost. Imagine life without Him. And then remember the truth that while you were still a sinner, God provided Jesus for you in a great act of love that provided an opportunity for grace so that you could be his child. Remember that. Take inventory of that. Tap into the emotion of that. Paul says in Romans 5, and hope does not put us to shame, talking about the effect, the result of what God has done through Jesus. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only in this so, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do I love Jesus? I remember the first time I was confronted with that question. It was in reading a book by a man named Henry Blackaby. It was called Experiencing God. And the question asked, what do you think about Jesus? And who is Jesus to you? And there was a series of variations. Is Jesus a good guy that you're pleased, that had some moral teachings that you can live by? Is Jesus... Uh, you'll get out a jail card and you're happy that you have it. Who is Jesus? And really the question was surrounding, do I love Jesus? And I have to confess, I immediately wanted to say yes right away because, you know, that was the Sunday school answer. I love Jesus. But then I had to think about it and I had to reflect upon it. Do I really love Jesus? If I say yes, then the next question is, how does my life reflect that? Is my passion, my drive, my values, my, my motivations, do they come from that? Am I committed to live in such a way in which I honor Jesus in my life and, seeing, and see Jesus honored in the work of the church that I'm a part of? You see, it all comes down to this. As, we, as we, we, we rack our brains, as we get into debates, as we have conversation about the issues related to, to living as Christians in this world and what that means and what that doesn't mean and how we're to navigate the, the very difficult things that, that we face in our society, in the church, outside of the church, in our workplace, in our families, and how we do family and all the different things that we, we, we come to, the question always comes down to this. Do I love Jesus? Do I love God? Luke 10, 25, and the lawyer stood up and put him to the test. The lawyer, a man who studied God's word, the law of God, talking to Jesus, 
saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. If you love God, you will love your neighbor, Jesus said. If you love God with everything you have, it will be the source of motivation to be committed to the church and committed to the life that God calls you to live. A lot of us say we love Jesus. We say we love Jesus, but what we mean is we only love parts of Jesus. We love those parts that make us feel better. Those parts that tell us we'll be forgiven, we won't face hell, God's near to us when we have trouble. We say we love Jesus, but we maybe love only parts of him because when it comes to the difficult stuff, the teachings that we struggle with, the things that have hard application in real life, we tend to want to push that aside. We tend to think that's coming from another Jesus, from another source. We try to get intellectual and say, well, that was uh, a cultural something, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We can't have it both ways. The Jesus that we love in certain parts of Scripture is the same Jesus that we have to deal with in the Scriptures that are hard to live by. And we have to recognize that from this love of Jesus is a commitment, is a commitment to live in a manner that honors God and doesn't undermine the witness of his church in the world of which we are a part of. See, motivation to live the life shouldn't come from your, fray, your fear of losing salvation or punishment or retribution. Or It should come out of love because you love God, because you only fully come to grips with his grace. And day by day, you come to understand that more and more. In all honesty, I have to tell you I love Jesus. When I first made that commitment as a 12-year-old, I was a typical 12-year-old ornery boy. Maybe not so typical, but I was a typical ornery 12-year-old. I remember running from the pool in which we were baptized, sprinting in full energy, asking my friend Carl Duplessis, who was baptized with me, do you feel different? How do you feel? What's going on? That was my understanding of what was happening at that time. And, of course, I've moved on from that. And moving on from that has, has been a journey. It's been a journey of ups and downs. It's been a journey of missteps. It's been a journey at times in which I haven't acted as if I love Jesus. In fact, I behaved, sadly to say, at times as if Jesus didn't exist in my life. But God's faithfulness runs not only in the past, covering the sins of my past, but it runs forward into the future with my mishaps and misdirections. And God's faithfulness has been that he's never left me nor forsaken me. And he has sent individuals in my life that have reminded me, yes, maybe even corrected me, yes, maybe even disciplined me. Individuals of, more, of mature Christians that have reflected the love of God to me so that I too might capture that and understand that. And in studying Scripture, I've began to grow in depth of my understanding of what it means to be a Jesus follower by grace, through faith, at baptism for good works. Wow. What I deserved was eternal damnation 
and a life that isn't life. But God gave me eternal salvation and a fullness of life to live that began as in a crazy adventure in, the, in Zimbabwe, Africa, and brought me to England and brought me here. And, and it's just been one step after the other of being affirmed in God's love and his faithfulness. Do you love Jesus? You know, I read the instructions of Paul, and ultimately he comes to that. Hey, let's, let's do these things. Let's understand these things. Let's make sure we, we operate in this way. Why? Because we don't want anyone to speak against the name of our God and our teachings in the church. Why? Because we love Jesus. We love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and all our strength. And we want to love our neighbor based out of that as we love ourselves. By this, the love of God has, was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we, have lo that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Will you stand? And we'll close in prayer. I'm going to ask our guys that are here to be available to pray with you in person. They're going to be up front. They're available to pray with you on any issue you might have, need someone to talk to. They'll talk to you about matters of faith, about decision you might want to make to become a Jesus follower. But I'm going to close in prayer, and after our prayer time, we'll be dismissed to leave. But let's close this together, calling on the Lord. Lord, thank you for this time that we can share for your word. Thank you for the passion that's, that's infused in the words of Paul and given instruction to Timothy that's to be carried out to the church in Ephesus that then is translated for us today. And thank you that we can see that his motivation, his why was out of his being smitten by grace. He was taken by Jesus. He was passionate about his dedication to God because of Jesus. And as Paul became more and more immersed in your love and faithfulness in his day-to-day, -day, counting each day, each moment, each breath of his life as a privilege, an honor, a gift. I pray, too, that we might see his example and follow suit because the Jesus that Paul served is the Jesus available to us. And the spirit that God used Paul, worked through Paul is the same spirit who's available to us. And as, like Paul, we are saved by grace through our faith. Like Paul, we can remember and recall the moment in which we became immersed in your love. And I pray that that memory will, will serve as a, as a motivator, as a remembering of the passion we need to commit ourselves with to seeking to honor you, to love you, to live in such a way that we will do what is brings ple pleasure to you to serve you and to serve the ministry you have called us to be part of. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn to love you, 
to help us to bring to life in our day-to-day, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.